Chapter Six of The Lady in Blue by Augusta Groner, translated by Grace Isabel Colbron. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Was it suicide? The night train for Vienna leaves Salzburg Station at eight fifty. While Edmund Walroth and Walter Thorne were making themselves comfortable in their reserved compartment in anticipation of the long night journey, a woman came out from the waiting room glided down the platform in the shadow of a heavily laden baggage truck and slipped quickly into the corner of a third-class compartment further down the train she wore a veil and had her coat collar turned up around her throat the elderly peasant woman who was the only other occupant of the compartment was asleep during the stop at salzburg when she awoke a little later the newcomer was curled up in her corner fast asleep her face still hidden by the heavy veil and the coat collar the old woman wondered at this for it was a warm night but she was not greatly interested and soon fell asleep again the two cousins did not sleep although this was their second night on a train walroth was much calmer now his visit to elise's grave had quieted him he could speak of her without the intensity of grief that had shaken him in the house at salzburg and he had a great desire to speak of her edmund von walroth had never known the struggle with life's problems that steals other men's nerves and character frail from childhood he was the petted son of a loving mother and a wealthy father this was the first blow that fate had dealt him and it was the harder because the first he had no strength with which to meet it he sunk himself into bittersweet memories of the woman who had won his love by storm and who had then robbed him of the awaited happiness in such cruel and incomprehensible manner he talked on half to himself half to his cousin thorne listened patiently even attentively to the unhappy lover's memories of the dead woman's extraordinary beauty and charm walroth spoke of her proud reserve and the noble gravity of her character of how cold and haughty she was toward the men who swarmed around her of how well she could keep them at a distance at times while he listened an odd gleam came into walter thorne's eyes an expression mingled of pity scorn and anger he turned his head so that Walroth might not notice it. Finally, when Edmund paused, Thorne began to question him concerning the dead girl's short theatrical career. He asked where she had acted. Only in small theatres here and there, replied Walroth. She never got out of the provinces. But she was in Vienna at the Karl Theatre. That's where she began. She was only in the chorus there. She sang small parts in the other towns and yet as you describe her to me she would have created a sensation in some big city berlin for instance thorne threw out the casual suggestion she's never been there you say no it's only a certain sort of girl who can advance so quickly the girl who is ready to pay for it elise was too proud for that it was some time before thorne spoke again he lit a cigar and persuaded walroth to do likewise they smoked in silence as the train sped on through the night then thorne knocked the ashes from his cigar with great deliberation turned to walroth and looked him straight in the eye saying are you quite sure that it was suicide walroth took the cigar out of his mouth he stared at his cousin rigid as an automaton wide-eyed finally he murmured what what do you mean by that thorne continued calmly haven't you thought how very improbable it is that a beautiful young woman should deliberately take her own life on the eve of a brilliant marriage what you have to offer this girl was a chance she would not lightly throw away walter i give me time to think 
No, that idea never came to me for a moment. Oh, it is too absurd. Who could have murdered her, and why? There was no robbery. Elise had no enemies who could hate her, enough to murder her. Love can murder as well as hate. Scorned love can lead a weak mind into anything. You yourself know what it is to be jealous. Walter. Yes, Edmund, we ought to give thought to this matter. The girl was very fair to look upon. She must have aroused love, passion, in other men. Is it so incredible that there might be one who would prefer to see her dead rather than in the arms of a rival? This neurasthenic generation cannot control its impulses as readily as did the men of a hardier age, and the morals of our time are rotten. How do you know that it might not have been hatred, paired with the desire for revenge, or jealousy made up of mingled hate and love that struck the dagger to this woman's heart? There was another long pause, during which Thorne studied his cousin closely. Edmund's face mirrored the sad chaos of his thoughts. The doubt that had clouded his mind for a fleeting moment on the drive to Falsterbu must have returned now. He knew that there were years in Elise's life of which he had no knowledge other than what she told him. Might there not have been experiences then, happenings, that were the beginning of the tragic end? His excitement drove him up from the seat. He walked to the window and stared into the darkness outside. Drops of cold sweat moistened his brow. Suddenly a new thought seemed to come to him. He drew himself up to his full height, taking a long, deep breath. Something of the torture in his eyes seemed to fade out. A new calm took its place. He stopped in front of his cousin and laid his hand on Walter's shoulder. "'I ought to thank you for suggesting this,' he began quite calmly for it frees me from bitter thoughts. I was torturing myself with speculations as to why Elise should have done this. And did you come to any conclusion? Walroth sighed deeply. I could only imagine that she was sorry she had given me her promise, that she feared this marriage. She took everything so seriously. I thought that perhaps she did not love me and knew no other way out but death. It was Walter Thorne who looked out of the window now, he could not suppress a smile which he did not want his cousin to see. When he had controlled himself, he spoke. There are other ways of breaking an undesired engagement, other ways than suicide. Was Elise usually so eccentric in her behavior? Oh, no. She was calm and tactful and hated anything sensational. She was very sensitive, too, and knew how she attracted attention everywhere. She was so particular that she wouldn't go to a little dance at the artist club with me because we weren't married yet. I can understand that, said Thorne, this time quite unable to control a short laugh. Walroth looked at him, surprised and hurt. But Walter was serious again in a moment, and continued, All that speaks for my idea. No, Edmund, I do not believe this girl wanted to escape marriage with you. I do not think you need have any fear that she did not love you enough to marry you. His voice took on a kinder note with the last words. But all the evidence pointed to suicide. The police and the coroner seemed sure of it. That's no reason why we should believe it. I think there should be an investigation made. I would hire a good detective if I were you. You think I ought to do that? Who else? The case is closed as far as the Salzburg police are concerned. They are not likely to go to any trouble to prove themselves mistaken. You are the only person interested in discovering the truth. Of course, there is Elise's stepbrother, but you've often said that there was little love loss between them, and after all he is only concerned with the actual fact that she is dead. Besides, he's a poor man with a wife and child dependent on him. You alone have an interest in why or how she died. You could free yourself from these torturing doubts if it is clearly proven 
that she did not die by her own hand. I do not believe that she did. But all this excitement, it will torture me so. Oh, come, be a man. But I am ready to attend to all that for you, if you prefer it. I am really anxious to prove that I am right. I will take up the case in your name, if you wish it. Oh, do, please do. I couldn't rest now unless something were done. I wouldn't know a minute's peace if she has been murdered, and I have not done all I could to bring the criminal to justice. Hire a detective. Give him all the money he needs. Oh, God, when I think— Don't think. Don't think of anything connected with it. You keep out of it from now on. The last days have upset you terribly. You had best join your mother in the country and keep as quiet as you can. I will stay here and report frequently. Thank you. Thank you, Walter, said Walroth. Do whatever you think necessary. The train pulled into Vienna early next morning. The two men drove to the Walroth mansion, freshened themselves after their journey, and Thorne, at least, ate a hearty breakfast. Then, leaving Edmund at home, he drove to police headquarters and had a long consultation with the chief of the Secret Service. "'Whom can you suggest?' said Thorne, after he had put his case before the official. "'I must have a man of the highest intelligence and the utmost discretion.' "'There is no one filling that description who is at liberty in our service for the moment,' said the chief. "'But a private detective would do just as well. You might get Joseph Mueller to take it.' "'Mueller? Formerly our star detective,' said the official. "'He is retired now, but still takes cases that interest him. If you can arouse his interest, I can pledge you that you will have certainty one way or the other within a couple of weeks.' "'You seem very sure of your man.' "'You will be too when you see him at work. He's an odd chap, though.' You must not be deceived by his kindly, casual manner. He is an unassuming elderly gentleman, but a veritable human bloodhound once he is on the trail. And don't be surprised at anything you see in his house. His servants are all former jailbirds, and he gets more faithful service out of them than any of the rest of us do, no matter what we pay on good recommendations. You begin to interest me, said Thorne. I sincerely hope I will get this Mr. Mueller to take our case. He set out again, stopping finally in front of a modest little villa in a suburban side street. The door was opened by a young man of about twenty, whose dark eyes staring furtively from a white face almost startled the painter. That must be one of the jailbirds, thought Thorne as he asked whether Mr. Mueller was at home. The lad murmured something, and then shut the door again and went off through the vestibule. His oddly dragging and uneven steps sounded weirdly through the stillness. Looks like a Russian, too, was Thorne's next thought. The lad returned after some little time and asked the visitor to come in. He led him first through a small square anteroom, so lined with lockers and file cases that it was scarcely more than a narrow corridor. Then he opened the door at the farther end, and Thorne found himself in a large, light, comfortable room. Both windows were open, and a slender, elderly man was just shutting one of them. He motioned to the boy to finish it while he himself turned and came forward slowly to meet his guest. He pulled forward a chair beside a big desk and seated himself at the desk. "'Mr. Mueller?' asked Thorne. The man nodded, then spoke over his shoulder. "'A bit quicker, Ossip.' "'Oh, no, sir, you need not hurry,' he said to his visitor. "'I am at your disposal for—' Here he looked at his watch. "'For forty-six minutes. You may go now, Ossip. Put out my grey jacket.' The Secret Service chief had cautioned Thorne that Mueller was a very busy man, and that it was well to come to the heart of the matter one wanted to lay before him with as little loss of time as possible. The painter took out his pocketbook and found a card on which the chief had written a few words. 
Another larger card slipped from his pocket. Thorne picked it up before handing his own card to Mueller. This tells you who I am, he said, and that the chief has sent me to you. We need a skilled man to take up our case at once. We have lost nearly a week. Unfortunately, we should have started the investigation last Sunday morning. We? queried the detective. Then you are not the only person interested in this case? No, it is really no affair of mine at all. I am here as agent for my cousin, Baron Walroth. Edmund Walroth, cut in Mueller quite calmly. Thorne looked his surprise. How did you know that? he asked. You spoke of Sunday morning last, and you have just come from Salzburg. How did you know that fact? Thorne shook his head in astonishment. The card that fell from your pocket was a card of the Nelbach Hotel. I know of but one such hotel, and that is in Salzburg. A man like yourself doesn't carry hotel cards about with him, so I took for granted that that card could not have been in your pocket long. You must have been in Salzburg recently. We left there last night. You and Baron Walroth? Yes, still I do not understand. But I do. You want me to find out why Miss Lehman, who was found dead, stabbed on Sunday morning last, should have taken her own life. Naturally, Baron Walroth, to whom the papers say she was engaged, would want to know why his fiancée preferred death to marriage with him. You are a mind-reader, said Thorne. No, only an experienced detective, with the imagination I need for my profession. You want me to make this investigation? My cousin sends me to ask you to take up the case. I'm afraid it will not be possible. I am just looking into a forgery affair, a most interesting case. Is that the only reason you will not undertake ours? You can understand that a more important case would interest me most, can't you? As you see, I am an old man. I undertake no case now that does not really interest me. Then I have come all the way from Salzburg in vain, and by way of Sweden and Germany, too. You know that? gasped Thorne. I take it for granted, as your pocket-book was full of Swedish and German notes. Your eyes are sharp. I need sharp eyes in my business, but it was an easy guess this time. Swedish and German paper money is easily recognized by its color. We've been talking for seventeen minutes now, Mueller added, taking out his watch. But Walter Thorne was not easily discouraged. I have twenty-nine more minutes, he said calmly, and I'll wager that you will be ready to give twenty-nine hours or days or even weeks to our case, if necessary. For with all due respect to your forger friends, this affair seems to me more worthy a man of your ability. Why do you think so? Because of something that is known only to me thus far, and will remain known only to me until you have looked into the case and found out a few things for yourself. I have come to ask you not to find out why Miss Lehman died by her own hand, but to determine whether she did die by her own hand or not. I am convinced that she did not. Mueller looked more interested. You do not think it was suicide? No, I think it was murder. A murder from jealousy, possibly. That is for you to find out. Mueller sat bolt upright now. A murder, he murmured. A human life cut down cruelly? He sat absolutely silent for a few moments, while Thorne watched him with great interest. It was so quiet in the room that the buzzing of a fly at the window sounded like the droning of a distant aeroplane. If it is murder, Mueller murmured as if talking to himself, I will find the murderer. He will be the ninety-fourth murderer whom I have brought to justice. The hundred will soon be full, and then I can rest, for I will have fulfilled my vow. The emotion passed, and his features settled back to their usual calm. He leaned back in his chair, remarking casually, I'll have to begin in Salzburg, of course. Thorne drew a deep breath of relief. This famous hunter of criminals 
had accepted the case. The mystery would soon be solved. And soon, said Thorne to himself, poor Edmund will know what he has lost in Elise. The knowledge will help heal his grief. Then he said aloud to Mueller, You may call on us for any amount you need. He took out his pocket-book again and laid ten hundred-crown bills on the table. Beside them he placed a thick envelope. Mueller took this up first. Photographs, he exclaimed. Then, examining the first picture carefully, a beauty, yes, but not a lady. When he had studied another of the pictures, he looked over at Thorne. Is this Miss Elise Lehman? Why, yes, why didn't you guess it at once? replied Thorne, in surprise. For several reasons. First, on these two pictures, the hair looks blonde. Of course, they are costume pictures, but I understood from the Salzburg paper that Miss Lehman was a brunette. Thorne smiled. She was, but when these pictures were taken, she had the fad of powdering her hair. I see. And then this, this costume. It looks like those worn by the singers in cheap cabarets. That is just what she was at that time. She was known as La Belle Elise, and was the star of a third-class amusement hall in Berlin. And yet she was to be Baroness Walroth? My cousin knew nothing about that period of her life. He believed her to be absolutely straight. That explains the engagement. I take it she was not what he thought her. Thorne smiled, and the detective smiled, too, as his eyes rested on the pictures of the scantily clad beauty. Had she any real talent? She must have been a good actress in private life, answered Thorne, with a shrug, or my cousin would not have thought of marrying her. He is of sound mind. He must have been very much in love with her. Love can make the most sensible man foolish, while it lasts. You're right, and besides, my cousin is not very strong, and has never taken much part in the usual amusements of men of his class. It was all the easier for him to fall into the toils of this sort of woman, particularly as he knew her family, who were simple but perfectly respectable people. Yes, but only a case-hardened man of the world is fit to deal with these women. They can always drag the other sort down to any folly, or even to more. To murder, for instance, Mueller continued after a pause. Still, it may have been unpremeditated, a killing in a moment of passion. Thorne started, then shut his lips tight. After a moment he opened them. Yes, it might well have been accidental. A man goaded into anger by jealousy? Yes, it might. And for the moment, at least, if it is such a case, my sympathies are on the side of the slayer. Mueller turned the second picture over and looked at the reverse side. There were some words written there. To my darling R. Hmm. The pen sputtered, and she didn't send him the picture. Is this Miss Lehman's handwriting? He held the cards so Thorne could see it. I think so. It looks like some of the writing I saw in her desk. Can you imagine who the darling R. is? No, replied Thorne, but Mueller's keen ear had caught a slight hesitation. He let the matter drop, however, and turned to the railway guide, always at hand, on his desk. If I leave here at 3.35, I can reach Linz at 7.23. A local train from there will get me into Salzburg, quarter past eleven. I usually wake about five, so I can be on the spot about six. In the grey house, you mean? Yes, who has the key, or at least the keys to the rooms where Miss Lehman lived. They are still at the police station, unless her brother has taken them. She had a brother? A stepbrother. He lives here. Has he been notified? A wire went to him yesterday. Miss Lehman had not mentioned this brother to any of those who were around her these last weeks. The Salzburg police did not know of his existence until Baron Walroth gave them his name and address. He is her only relative. What is his name and address? 
His name is Hubert Lore. He lives in the 13th District, Red Hill Lane, number 27. He may have started for Salzburg already. I hope not, said Mueller, for if there are any clues at all, they must be very slight, or the police would have noticed them. This Mr. Lore, if he pokes about in the rooms and removes her belongings, may destroy them altogether. Yes, it is likely, for unless Edmund's messenger found him still at home, he doesn't know of this new development. Well, it can't be helped, said Mueller, rising. Do I report to the Baron, or to you? To me. And where can letters or telegrams reach you? Thorne was silent for a moment. Couldn't I go to Salzburg with you? he asked finally. No, I prefer to work alone. But we can go to my former chief now. Does he know about the case? Yes, you only need fetch your credentials. Then you don't want me in Salzburg? No. In that case, I shall be here until June 8th. I am stopping with the Walroths. And after June 8th? I shall be wandering about, answered Thorne evasively. You can write or wire me to the Walroth house. They will always know where I am. Mueller could not help smiling at this touch of mystery. Thorne saw it and continued defiantly. You know all I can tell you with a clear conscience. You must not think that I have any definite suspicion of anyone, that I know anything about this case that I haven't told you already. Did I say that I thought you had? asked Mueller with a smile. You seem to think something of the kind, even if you didn't say it, replied Thorne. What gave me my first suspicion of what I believed to be the truth were these pictures. I had not met my cousin's fiancée, but this woman I had known at the time she was singing in the music hall in Berlin. I knew what her life was then, and I realized that she must have deceived Edmund as to its details. I realized also that such a girl must have known many men who paid court to her. Let any one of them take it a bit more seriously than she did, and we have a motive for this act, particularly if it were committed in a moment of insane rage and jealousy. Yes, that is well thought out, said Mueller, after a pause. I can handle this case alone, and I even promise you of my own free will not to do what I might so easily do to find out where you go when you leave Vienna. What good would that do you? said Thorne in a flash of annoyance. If I had you shadowed, I could soon discover whether you had any particular person in mind, replied Mueller. But don't worry, I shall not do this. May I take the pictures? asked Thorne, if you want them. I have the photographer's name and address, and can get more if I need them. Where can I reach you to send you money? asked the painter. Mueller named a Salzburg hotel, then pressed a button near his desk. The Russian lad came in in a few moments. My traveling bag, raincoat, and tweeds, said Mueller. The boy's face showed interest and a tense suspense. Well, asked Mueller, what is it? Will you take me with you, sir? asked the lad timidly. Mueller looked at him for a moment, then nodded. Ossip's face grew almost handsome in his keen delight, but he said no word of thanks. He slipped out of the door like a shadow. Is that a confidential servant? asked Thorne. He is my creature, replied Mueller gravely. I made a man of him again, and he is as devoted as a faithful dog. He held out his hand to the painter who pressed it, and then left the house. Out in the clear sunshine again, Thorne felt as if he had emerged from another and a hitherto unknown world. End of chapter 6